0: Welcome back to the Shorter, a podcast on the Shorter Catechism, where two pastors take 20-something minutes to confess their way through the 107 questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I'm your host, Tommy Park, and I'm joined by my co-host, Stephen Spinnerweber. Hey, hey, everybody.
1: Thanks for stopping uh, by again. We're happy to have you, and we're very happy to have our friend, who is a repeat offender on the Shorter podcast, Dr. Sean Michael Lucas. He is the senior pastor at Independent Presbyterian Church in Memphis, and a church history professor with one RTS. Dr. Lucas is the author of many books on uh, church history. We got um, a good deal of, I think we talked about that in our last podcast, would highly recommend that to all of our listeners. And uh, today we've got him on the podcast to talk about questions 85 through 87 on faith and repentance. Dr. Lucas, thanks for
2: joining us again. Thanks for having me back. It's a great pleasure to be with you.
0: Yeah, as Steven just said, uh, Dr. Lucas was previously on the podcast looking at questions uh, 27 and 28. So if you want to look at that or even uh, get to know him, but today we're going to kind of go straight at it. So, Dr. Lucas, hope you're doing well. How's Memphis? Well, Memphis has had a wonderful spring, uh,
2: and we are cheering on the Grizzlies, wondering at John ja Morant, who is amazing. And, uh, yeah, we're doing well here. Kinda of have a Steve Kerr look about you. Has anybody
1: ever told you that before?
2: <laughs> I could definitely well, see. I, I, take, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take. You know, uh, Steve Kerr is an amazing coach, so we'd love to love to be in his company.
1: Stud. So there you go.
2: Um, but yeah, basketball.
1: Tommy. Tommy uses basketball analogies on me all the time, but they are wasted on me. I wrestled. So, Doctor Lucas, we got you on today to talk about faith and repentance because we've just finished up. The 10 commandments, the duties that God requires of man, and the duties that man cannot possibly keep by virtue of the fall, that were broken by the fall, that were sinful creatures. And yet, God has not left us to ourselves, but He has extended to us this olive branch of salvation, this by His grace. And questions 85 to 87 really get into the mechanics of how one is saved and faith and repentance are what we're gonna talk about today. So I'm gonna take the questions on faith and then Tommy's going to finish this out with the questions on repentance. So what is faith? The catechism asks, faith is a saving grace whereby a sinner uh, receive and rest upon Christ alone for salvation as he's freely offered in the gospel. So Dr. Lucas, that word faith uh, is one that, Is thrown around pretty casually in our culture. You see it on bumper stickers, tattoos, everywhere in Hobby Lobby. And the list can go on and on. Everyone seems to be talking about faith or use the word faith. But what kind of faith, what quality of faith are we talking about? What makes saving faith saving?
2: Well, yeah, historically speaking, thinking about faith uh, has been differentiated out in a couple of ways. On the one hand, you might think of faith in terms of assent. Um, so uh, kind of the historic doctrines of Christianity uh, regarding, uh, say, Apostles' Creed Christianity, um, you might have faith in those doctrines uh, by way of a, an assent that, yes, those things are true. Uh, But when the Shorter Catechism talks about faith, it it certainly presumes assent, right? Uh, We're not going to get to saving faith apart from assenting to uh, the biblical truths concerning God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, But it's the other part of faith, uh, not just assent, but faith is trust that really is at the heart of what the Shorter Catechism is getting at. Uh, And you get that sense of trust or reliance uh, in the way that it defines it, faith whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered to us in the gospel. So that the reception side uh, and the resting side uh, of faith really get to issues of, of trust. So receiving Um, in terms of uh, receiving Christ as a gift, not something that I earn per se, but I I trust in and rely upon as I receive him. But then resting really gets to uh, this idea of trust and reliance. Uh, When I've taught communicant classes uh, in times gone by, I I pull a page out of the teaching methods of Jay Gresson Machen, who is notable for laying on tables uh, in order to get his students' attention, Uh, and I actually will lay on the table and say to the kids, okay, so am I holding myself up right now? No. Um, Well, what's holding me up? Well, the table is. What am I doing on the table? Well, you're kind of laying on it. Could you say I'm resting on it? Yes, you're resting upon it. So there's no part of me that's holding me up right now. Right. What's actually holding me up completely the table uh, so when we think then about resting upon Christ, what are we doing? is there any part of us that is is somehow relying upon ourselves for salvation no we are completely reliant upon resting upon Christ that that sense of trusting in Christ so that so that all of my hopes and all of my future is reliant upon him really gets to that idea of faith so, Receiving and resting get to the idea of faith as trust. That's right at the heart of what saving faith is, according to the catechism. Very
1: helpful. I've seen people just sit on chairs before, but you and Machen go the extra length and you lay on tables to get the whole resting image there. In order to keep 10 year olds engaged, you know, you do what you do. Because otherwise they're going to be, you know, resting themselves. So, got to keep them away. Yeah. Um, That's right. So, Question eighty-five here uses some language that maybe folks coming from broader evangelical traditions they might bristle at. What doth God require of us? Right, so we say pretty regularly and rightly so that salvation is one hundred percent of God's grace and that it's not completed by us; that we don't cooperate with God's grace. And yet, question eighty-five says what's required of us. So, what would you say to somebody?
2: Who has difficulties with that kind of language or would push back against that? Well, that's where questions 85 and 86 work together, right? I mean, yes, there is this condition, uh, if you will, this requirement, which is repentant faith uh, or faithful repentance. We'll talk about how those relate here in a second, I'm sure. Um, But there is this condition that's placed upon us, and yet, larger Catechism 86. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace. Uh, It's a gift from God. and It it harkens back to the language that Augustine has uh, in his confessions, the language that drove Pelagius nuts, which was, command what you will, give what you command. Uh, So God commands, believe in Jesus Christ, Uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. It is God's command to us, whosoever will may come, put your trust in him. But we can't do that. Uh, And so God gives us faith, uh, out out of his great grace to us. Uh, it's, it really is a way of thinking in terms of, you know, Ephesians two, you know, by grace, you were saved, uh, by faith. And this is not of yourself is a gift of God. Um, so that even the believing, even the trusting, um, is ultimately the work of God's grace. It's a condition to be sure, but it's a condition that God supplies. And when you think about it, that's why the what we were talking about before is so important. Um, we might not think that that mental assent to certain truths requires grace, um, and perhaps you know we might, out of our own rationality, kind of size up the probability of Trinity and God becoming man and crucifixion and resurrection and we might say well okay the preponderance of the evidence the probability rates sure i believe i have faith uh, in these truths but to get to the place of reliance of resting uh, of receiving with an open hand without trying to put anything else in that open hand um, that actually is something that is supernatural uh, that does require uh the work of God, because in and of ourselves, because of original sin, um, our wills are bent away from God. Our our minds are darkened. That's why effectual calling is so important uh, in the reformed understanding of salvation. Uh, God has to enlighten our minds and renew our wills so that we might be persuaded to embrace Jesus and rest upon him. Uh, And so this condition that God places upon us of faith is a condition ultimately that he supplies. That's why it's a saving grace.
1: I love that you kept coming back to that because you hear the word thrown all around a lot. It's unconditional love. Well, there are conditions. You know, God loves us in his son. Christ had to satisfy the conditions of the law and all of the conditions that we need have already been met in Christ and given to us as a gift. So I love the way that you put that. So last question really on faith, and then we'll sort of ask a transition question. You'll hear a lot of folks say, God saved me because I had faith. And you hear it and at face value, it might even sound right because we say salvation is by grace through faith. But when we say because of faith, we're getting into territory that the Bible really doesn't want us to go toward. Can you explain what's wrong with that phrase and and point us in the right direction, how we really should speak and why it's important to be clear on this?
2: Yeah. So the post-Reformation theologians talked about faith as a as an instrument. Uh, they had drawing from Aristotle uh, a series of causes or or different ways of thinking about causation. Uh, and so they they talked about faith as an quote unquote instrumental cause. Um, but if you just get rid of the causation language and just think about faith as an instrument um, the instrument isn't the thing, uh, an instrument, simply that by which we try to accomplish something else. So we take the hammer and it's the instrument by which we are trying to secure the, the, the board to the wall. Um, the instrument is not the thing. Um, so faith is an instrument by which we receive, uh, The thing, Um, why are we ultimately rescued and saved? It's because of Jesus Christ. Um, He is the Redeemer of God's elect. He is the one who has won all of the benefits uh, that God offers to us through Him by the Spirit in our salvation. Um, We ultimately receive Him, as John one says, as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. Um, So, so ultimately, faith is the instrument of reception. Uh, but we are not saved because of faith. We're saved because of Christ, but we're also not saved apart from faith because, again, faith is that instrument by which we receive Christ. We are relying upon him. We're resting upon him. We are receiving him. Um, uh, ultimately, that's that instrumental cause is, is why we're rescued, but we're rescued because of the work, finished work of Christ.
1: You said faith and the instrumentality of faith through which the blessings of Christ come to us because it's his sacrifice that's the ground of our salvation, not our our act of believing. And you go to Ephesians, 2, Right. Not even our faith. We can't boast in that because even the instrument that we have it, it's itself a gift. But faith doesn't exist alone. Faith and repentance, they're salt and pepper. They're a package deal here. We can't have one without the other. However, should we expect there to be a, an order that a person repents and then expresses saving faith or that a person must have saving faith and then repent? Explain, is there a logical order? Is there a order temporally
2: where people experience this? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, all too often we, we tend to think about the order of salvation uh, as though this must happen, this must happen, this must happen, this must happen. Uh, in this particular order, the way the the Westminster Confession of Faith is written is written to describe an order of salvation. But we always recognize it's a logical order. Um, when we are u- united to Christ in our effectual calling, all the benefits of Christ come to us like that—just adoption, sanctification, come package deal—as um, the Spirit unites us to Christ and with Him by faith. Uh, That same kind of sensibility is true when you think about faith and repentance. They really are two sides of the same coin. Um, You can't have faith apart from turning away from sin. Uh, And you can't turn from sin apart from faith in Christ. They're two sides of the same coin. Having said that, um, the Shorter Catechism does seem to point us in the direction of an order, both in terms of the questions that are asked. 86, what is faith in Jesus Christ, comes before what is repentance unto life, but also in its answer for repentance unto life, um, it it notes uh, repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ So this apprehension, this this faith that God is merciful in Jesus Christ is actually part of what repentance is. Um, And the suggestion being, if we don't apprehend that God is merciful in Jesus Christ, we're not going to repent. So so faith, both logically but also experientially, uh, comes prior to repentance. But that's just a logical teasing out. Uh, We really can talk about repentant faith. Uh, and believing repentance, uh, and bring them together like that.
0: Uh, that's helpful. Uh, so on the other side of the coin is repentance. Uh, and just kind of, as Stephen put it at the beginning, you know, faith is all over the place, and, and kind of the concept of repentance is all over the scene as well. So, you know, how would you describe genuine saving repentance? And how is repentance different from non-saving types, maybe just worldly sorrow or godly, even sorrow.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I do think it's helpful to kind of step back and think about just the word repentance and the way repentance gets used in the Bible. Um, repent typically is is translating a Greek word, metanoia, uh, which has the idea of a change of mind, but it's it's a change of mind that ultimately leads to a change of direction. Uh, in the same way that perhaps, as you're, you know, if you leave the house uh, and you, you, you're heading to uh, one particular restaurant, you're going to go buy five guys or whatever, and then you think, Nah, that's terribly, that's that's awful, that's not very healthy for me, and so you change your mind, and your car then redirects you. Redirect to uh, we have a local salad place here called Cheffy's. You're going to go eat healthy uh, and go get a salad, right? There's a change of mind. That leads to a change of direction, uh, and 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 one of the places in the Bible that I think pictures that so well, though the word repentance isn't isn't actually used uh, directly, is is in First Thessalonians one nine. Paul's talking to the Thessalonians about the report concerning how the gospel met them, and they he says for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God. From idols, to serve the living and true God. So this sense of of move, you you're running after idols. you're running after sin, but but repentance comes. There's a change of mind that leads to a change of direction, uh, and you turn from idols to the living God. Um, and this movement, this change of direction, is really at the heart of. What repentance is. Um, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 7 um, uh, distinguishes between uh, kind of a worldly so-called sorrow uh, and a godly sorrow. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, he says, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, and so forth. Uh, Paul seems to suggest that worldly grief doesn't produce an earnestness to change. Um, It might be sad that it was caught. uh, It might be sad from the consequences of what's happened, but a worldly grief does not actually, out of hatred for sin, change their mind. Someone doesn't change their mind concerning their sin and turn uh, away from their sinful patterns to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, But godly grief, godly sorrowing, when the catechism talks in terms of uh, a true sense of his sin, with grief and hatred of his sin, uh, that's that's godly grief that ultimately leads us to turn to this God who is merciful to us in Jesus Christ, but also to purpose after new patterns of obedience, which is this earnestness that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Um, so, so repentance really is this 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 bigger thing than than most of
0: us uh, probably typically talk about in our day to day lives. No, that's very helpful. And then you know, working with college students, but also working with anybody, there's a sense of people come to certain times in their life. Uh, maybe if it's at REF summer conference, or even maybe just a normal Sunday that they feel that there's things that they need to repent from, and they. Make those commitments, but they struggle with the reality that you know maybe they eventually go back to five guys, as it were, um, and, and uh, they, you know they don't always pick the salad uh, the salad place forever uh, yeah, forever so um, and then there's a lot of conversation and guilt and shame in that. so how does repentance work with this ongoing struggle of sin? Does repentance mean that I always have to pick five guys? um mm-hmm. and if i do pick five guys at some point um what does that mean in my christian life yeah
2: there is the, there is this language of a fir- full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience right so i mean one of the things in working with folks today um it, you know we we've embraced this language of being messy uh and you know we we talk about our mess we're authentic about our mess um All too often though, uh, we use that as a cover to just be okay with our mess. Um, Biblical repentance actually is saying, yes, I know I'm a mess, I hate my sin, I grieve over it, but I wanna turn from my mess. I don't wanna be as messy today as I was yesterday. Uh, And then uh, tomorrow I wanna be less messy than I am today. And yes, I may falter and fail, God is a gracious God. but there is also this sense of if if we don't produce the fruits of repentance um god then begins to work his discipline into our lives um there's a, a section in in luke's gospel uh where uh, jesus tells a parable about a, a householder who has this tree uh that's not producing fruit and he wants to he wants to cut it down and the 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 uh, his chief worker comes and says well no Give me a little bit more time. Let me, you know, dig around it, let me manure it, let me, you know, and let's see. And if it if produces fruit, great. If it doesn't, then we can cut it down. Um, the the implication of that parable is that Jesus expects to see fruits of repentance. There, there, he does expect us to actually grow in christ likeness and holiness. Um, and and yet there's also this recognition that. It takes time. Uh, and sometimes the Lord of the of the orchard has to harvest or has to has to prune us um, in John fifteen. he He takes away the dead branches so that we might bear fruit. so so yes, on the one side, um, Christian sin, uh, we will sin until we die. That's absolutely true. Uh, on the other side, there is this part of what repentance is uh, is this purposing after and endeavoring after. New patterns of obedience, uh, the, the holiness, the sanctification, which is a benefit that Christ has already gained for us, and God already sees us as positionally holy, is also that which we are to pursue. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, pursue holiness, strive after holiness, without which you will not see the Lord. Um, so, so it's this kind of tension that we live in here, this already experience of, of being holy in the sight of God. This not yet reality and repentance is that pathway that leads us towards the holiness that God has won for us.
0: Now, that's so helpful. The whole time you were talking, was that the already and not yet was all in my head. And that's a great way. Um, kind of, you know, this question's a little bit on the spot, but as I was thinking through the catechism and your answer, because after these, you know, three questions and answers, you had the kind of what's called means of grace. So, so why do you think the Shorter Catechism has is leading us in that direction, and how do these means of grace, of Bible, sacraments, Lord's Supper, baptism, help us in our faith and our repentance as we live in this already and not yet reality?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you cycled back to that, because question 85, we, it's actually one of the requirements, right? What does God require of us that we may escape his wrath and curse due to us for sin? To escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requires of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life with the diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. So how is it that we receive the grace, um, this saving grace of faith and repentance? Well, it's ultimately through the ministry of the word, um, baptism for those who are are part of covenant families, prayers uh, after we Profess our faith in Christ, the Lord's Supper, um, the way grace ultimately is communicated to us uh, is through these means. Which means, then, of course, if if we only go to church once a month, you know, or once every five weeks, which is right now, like in my shop, that's the average. We actually take once a month snapshot uh, of our our attendance, uh, and we've discovered that, well, pre COVID, about thirteen to fifteen hundred people. Once a month, but our weekly attendance and person attendance is about 750 to 800. So that tells you um, that it's far more likely that you're going to have people here who are largely once a month people. Um, but what are you doing to yourself? Well, you're not receiving this grace of the ministry of the word. Uh, the Belgian confession says the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Um, you're not receiving uh, here at our place, we have the word supper. Morning, third Sunday night. You're not receiving the, the means of grace of the supper uh, or the means of grace of improving your baptism. You're not participating in the prayers of God's people. The grace that Jesus wants to communicate to you so that your faith might be strengthened and you might be empowered to repentance, you're not receiving. Uh, and that's, that's part of the reason why the writer of the Hebrews urges his people not to abandon the meeting together because it puts them in the way of the dangers he's been warning them of, which are apathy and apostasy. So, yes, I mean, the means of grace are vital um, and they are a kind of condition, you know, uh, what does he require of us? Use the means of grace, uh, which is why, you know, I'm so thankful in our denomination, regardless of worship style, we are a means of grace denomination. You know, we stress the fact that it, word sacrament and prayer um, are the way that God grows us in Christ and leads us uh, in this path of faith and repentance.
0: Uh, that's that's awesome. Uh, so last question. So any resources that you would uh, lean our listeners to, to kind of continue this conversation of thinking through faith and repentance?
2: Yeah, there's two, two things that um, immediately come to mind. One is a little booklet by my friend Guy Richard uh, called What is Faith?, uh, it's in the basics of the faith series that PNR publishing, uh, uh, per- published full disclosure. I was the series editor, uh, for that series. So highly recommend that. Uh, but then also banner of truth has published, uh, a little, um, uh, book from the 17th century from a Scottish theologian, uh, John Calhoun, uh, on the doctrine of repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, so those would be two really solid, relatively brief, easily accessible, um, uh, treatments of faith and repentance that your listeners can go a little bit deeper in. And that is the
1: same John Calhoun with a Q that we've used before. His treatise on the law and the three types of law uh, was uh, very, very helpful, I thought, and we mentioned that on the podcast. So thank you. And uh, thank you for also being the editor on uh, the series of books. Uh, I have a handful on my shelf. I'm looking now. I don't see it, but I'll have to make an addition. Good. Guy will thank you. And I will too. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being with us again. And, you know, again, this is a uh, two-sided coin and uh, we covered both sides really well. We're very edified by you blessings on your ministry there at uh, independent Memphis. And thanks so much again. Thanks again for having me. My pleasure. And thank you to all of our listeners as usual. So we'd encourage you to share this episode with your friends and family. We'll, express our faith together repent uh, with and to one another and uh all by god's grace so till we talk next keep it short what is
2: repentance until life is a saving grace Whereby sinners out of a true sense of